Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Well, let's start, shall we? Let's pray. Father, we come to you now with our eyes. Lord, not our physical eyes, but the eyes of our understanding. And we pray, Lord, that you would enlighten the eyes of our understanding And we pray, Lord, that you would enlighten the eyes of our understanding so that we can know. We can know the Lord in the Scriptures. We can know the hope. We can know the great riches that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Here we are, Genesis 31. All right, Genesis 31, verse 1. Follow along. And he heard the words of Laban's son, saying, Jacob had taken away all that was our father's, and of that which was our father's hath he gotten all this glory. And Jacob beheld the countenance of Laban, and behold, it was not toward him as before. And the Lord said unto Jacob, Return unto the land of thy fathers, and to thy kindred, and I will be with thee. Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to the field unto his flock, and said unto them, I see your father's face, or countenance, that it is not toward me as before, but the God of my father hath been with me. And you know that with all my power I have served your father, and your father hath deceived me, changed my wages ten times, but God suffered him not to hurt me. If he said thus, the speckle shall be thy wages, then all the cattle bear speckled. If he said thus, the ring strake shall be thy wages, then bear all the cattle ring strake. Thus God hath taken away the cattle of your father and given them to me. And it came to pass that at the time that the cattle conceived, that I lifted up mine eyes and saw in a dream, and behold, the rams which leaped upon the cattle were ringstrakes speckled and gristled. And the angel of God spake unto me in a dream, saying, Jacob, and I said, Here am I. And he said, Lift up now thine eyes and see. And all the rams which leap on the cattle are ringstrakes speckled and gristled. And for I have seen all that they even doeth unto thee. I am the God of Bethel, where thou anointest the pillar, and where thou vowest a vow unto me. Now arise, and get thee out from this land, and return unto the land of thy kindred. Okay, now we began this chapter with this overhearing. That's what verse 1 is. It's an overhearing. He heard the words of Laban's son, saying, Jacob, take away all that was our father's, and of that which is our father's, so he got in all this glory. That was a terrible thing for Jacob to have heard this in verse 1. Jacob is really afraid now. He's afraid of Laban's sons. He's afraid of Laban. And in verse 31, you drop down in this chapter to Genesis 31, 31. You look down there, and he says exactly what he's afraid about. He said, and Jacob, when he's speaking to Laban, I answered and said to Laban, because I was afraid, for I said, peradventure, thou wouldst take by force thy daughters from me. So Jacob is afraid that not only does Laban see Jacob's flocks as belonging to Laban, but Laban sees Jacob's wives 
as still his daughters belonging to him. We can see in verse 31 that when Jacob's speaking to Laban, he doesn't call Rachel and Leah his wives. He says, I was afraid you'd take my wives. He calls them daughters, your daughters, Laban's daughters, because he's afraid. Laban is about to step in and say, Jacob, you've stolen even these women from me. These are my daughters. So he's afraid of losing everything that he's worked for over the last 20 years, and especially his wives. So when Jacob says that in verse 31, I was afraid. We, we can't imagine how afraid he was in verse 1. He was very afraid. So we open up chapter 31 with this great fear that Jacob's in. And now what happens? We step back now, and we look at these three verses together. One, two, three. And it's very interesting when you look at it that way, because what happens is that we see Jacob, and Jacob, first of all, he turns to Jacob's sons. He he turns to Jacob's sons. And what does he find when he turns to Jacob's sons? Hate. Hateful accusations. And Jacob then, so he's turned now to Jacob's sons. He sees his hate, hateful accusations. So now, that's verse 1. So now, in verse 2, what happens is that he turns away from Laban's sons. He turns to Laban himself. And you see in verse 2, and what does he find there? Hate. Hateful looks. See? And now, so he's turned from Laban's sons. He's turned to Laban. And now what does he do? In verse 3, he turns to the Lord. And what does he find? Love. He finds love, loving loyalty, loving faithfulness with the words, I will be with you. See, all this turning in verses 1 through 3, it's like a pattern in Jacob's life. He turns to man in verse 1. He finds hate. He turns to man in verse 2. He finds hate. He turns to God. He finds love. See? And that's a pattern in Jacob's life. Jacob is turning from man to man. He's, got, he's full of hope, and he, all he finds is disappointment as one man after the other had let him down. Until finally, Jacob turns to God, and then he finds happiness. God does not let Jacob down. That pattern, that's a pattern, not just true of Jacob, but that's true in our lives as well. Like Jacob, we turn from man to man, from woman to woman, and disappointment from man to man, disappointment from woman to woman, let us down. And then we finally turn to God and find happiness in God. It's a bird that finally has found its nest. God doesn't let us down. As the scripture says about all this turning man to man in Jeremiah 17, 5. Jeremiah 17, 5. Thus saith the Lord, cursed be the man that trusteth in man. That's such strong words. Cursed be the man, cursed, that trusteth in man, and maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. Well, what's he going to be like? He shall be like a heath in the desert, and shall not see when good cometh, but shall inhabit the parched places of the wilderness in a salt land not inhabited. Boy, that doesn't give you a picture of thirstiness. A heath, you know, a tumbleweed in the desert, in parched places in the desert, in a salt land. But verse 7 of Jeremiah 17 says, blessed is the man who that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. What's he going to be like? For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters spreadeth her, for, for out her roots by the river, and shall not see when heat cometh, for her, her leaf shall be green, shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. What's all this all about? Verse 9, Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And not only Jeremiah, but Isaiah said in the very beginning of his book, 
In Isaiah 2.22, cease ye from man whose breath is in his nostrils, for wherein is he to be accounted of? And then David goes on in Psalm 118, verse 8, it's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. And then he goes on and, and says in Psalm 62.8, Psalm 62.8, trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Just think about that, Selah. Surely men of low degree are vanity. Men of high degree, they're a lie. To be laid in the balance, they are altogether lighter than vanity. Now, isn't it interesting when we study this passage here in Genesis that as soon as Jacob tells Uncle Laban, his family, that he wants to now go back, obey God, return home, that as soon as he does that, his relationship goes sour with Laban. It just totally deteriorates. Here's an ungodly man, Laban, and here's Jacob, who frankly is not walking with God, and they get along just great together, sort of. But anyway, at least it's not violent and all. But as soon as Jacob begins, he says, I'm gonna walk with God, and then God blesses Jacob for his decision to return back, what happens? Laban hates Jacob all of a sudden. See, a Christian gets along fine with the ungodly, as long as the Christian's not walking with God. But when the Christian starts to walk with God, then the relationship with the ungodly, it goes sour. It deteriorates, like Peter said, 1 Peter 4, 3, Peter said, for in time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lusts, excess of wine, revelings, banquetings, abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that you run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. It wasn't the Philistines that he had his problems with in talking about Jacob. Jacob didn't have a problem with the Philistines. He had a problem with Uncle Laban. He had a problem with his own family. He had problem, he had trouble with his own family. And that's what the Lord Jesus Christ said would happen when he said in Matthew 10, 34. In Matthew 10, 34, the Lord said, think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. And now he talks about where's this sword gonna happen? I am come to set a man at variance against his father and the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. Jacob's foes were they of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He says, forget about him. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So Jacob here, always when you look at Jacob, you gotta see Jacob as a prophecy of the Jewish people. Jacob is from his descendants will become the Jewish people. And so many things in the life of Jacob are a prophecy of the Jewish people. So here's a, here's a picture, a prophetic picture of Jewish believers within the Jewish uh, race. Uh, Jewish believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, they are immediately shunned by their family. A Jewish person can be anything, but he cannot be a Christian. The Jewish people, they can't agree on anything, they can, especially they can't agree on, on what a Jew is, but they all agree on what a Jew is not. A Jew is not a person who follows the Lord Jesus Christ. And this came home this last week, you know, in the massacre in uh, San Bernardino, and one of the people who were killed up there was a Messianic Jew. And the Jewish Journal, which is a Jewish publication, reported on that, 
that one of the victims in the terrorist attack up in San Bernardino was Jewish. And this is how they reported it in their December 3rd issue of the Jewish Journal. It reads like this. Among the fatalities in the deadly terror attack on the Social Services Center in San Bernardino Wednesday that left 14 people dead and 21 wounded is Nicholas Falasinos, 52, a Messianic Jew, they say, a religious group that identifies, see, they call him a Jew, Messianic Jew, a religious group that identifies as Jewish, but considers Jesus to be the Messiah, combining elements of Judaism with core Christian doctrine. Jewish religious leaders and denominations do not consider Messianic Judaism to be Jewish. See, he's a Jew, but he's not Jewish. All right, so the Jewish Journal says that he's a Jew, but since he considers Jesus to be the Messiah, he's not Jewish, okay. Which leads to the conclusion that the definition of a Jew, in their mind, is a person who rejects Jesus as the Messiah. See John 1, 14, John 1, 1, 1 11, 13, anyway. The verse in John 1 that says, he came unto his own, and his own received him not, that's speaking of the Jewish people, that's how they define Jewish people, the one that don't receive him, okay? But the next verse says, but as many, as many as received him, as many as received him, to them gave the power to become the sons of God. That's how God defines his people. So anyway, it's a contrast. But what we see in verses one through three is an example of Psalm 2710. Psalm 2710, where David said, when my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. See, Jacob could say that, He could say, "Hmm, verses 1 and 2, is when my uncle and my cousins forsake me, now we come to verse 3, then the Lord will take me up. And the word that is very interesting because the word that King David used in that Psalm 2710 verse, when he said, then the Lord will take me up, is the word asaf, take me up, is asaf, which means to gather. It means to gather. Asaf is the word that is used in the Old Testament of what happened to believers after they died. And it says they were asaft to their fathers. They were asaft to their people. They were gathered. So in the same way, when my mother and my father forsake me, the Lord will asaf. He will gather up, which was my verse. When I came to the Lord Jesus Christ and saw my mother and father say sayonara. Okay, so as Jacob looked at his circumstances and they looked disastrous, But from a bigger picture, we can see that God, again, is directing Jacob through the jealousy and the hatred of a godless man. You know, before it was Esau, and now it's Laban. So, okay. I'll come in verse 6, and Jacob tells his wife. Jacob says in verse 6, the God of my father hath been with me, in Genesis 31, 6. The God of my father hath been with me. See, when Jacob called God the God of my father, Jacob was actually encouraging himself in the Lord, just like David did. David, he was very discouraged, David was. He was very afraid because all his wives were taken captive, all his his men's wives were taken captive, all his children, all his men's children, all taken captive by the Amorites, and he was very discouraged. And in 1 Samuel 30, verse 6, 1 Samuel 30, verse 6, it says David was greatly distressed for the people spake of stoning him, stoning him, killing him, because the soul of the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. It's interesting it says they were grieved for their sons and daughters, but not for their wives. I don't understand that part, but anyway, we won't go there. 
All right, so they were really grieved about their sons and their daughters, but it says, but David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. So at that time, when David was afraid and discouraged, he encouraged himself in the Lord his God. So here's Jacob. He's afraid. He's discouraged. He thinks that Laban's going to rip his wives away from him and say, they're not your wives, they're my daughters. Oh, those, those children are mine too, by the way. You have nothing, so leave. He was afraid of that, so he encourages himself in that fear by saying, the God of my father. See, when he said the God of my father, he's talking about Isaac. And so he was saying here, as my father Isaac dwelt in a foreign place, Gerar, I dwell now in a foreign place, Haran. As my father Isaac was in Gerar, and God blessed my father in Gerar, so God has blessed me in Haran. As Abimelech, the Philistine, became my father Isaac's enemy, so Laban has become my enemy. As God protected my father Isaac and appeared to him at night in a dream in Genesis 26, 24, when God said to Isaac, fear not, for I am with thee, so God appeared to me, Jacob would say at night, in a dream saying, I am with thee. See? I mean, this was a tragic situation for Jacob, such deep hatred against him in his own family on the verge of turning violent. And yet we see Jacob setting all that situation on one side of the balance and saying, okay, I've got a really bad situation here. I do. I have a brother and I have nephews that hate me to the point of on the verge of violence of wanting to take all my flocks my wives, my children, away from me and send me out into the desert alone. This is a really bad situation. He could think of all the details. And he puts that all on one side. He puts that all on one side of the balance. There's a balance. He puts it all on one side of the balance. And then on the other side of the balance, he just has one statement. God has been with me. God has been with me. God is with me. God will be with me. And now he says that statement of God's presence, it outweighs all the details of this tragic situation I'm in right now. See, that's how he encouraged himself in the Lord. Now, as Jacob's describing to his wives the deal he made for the animals, you know, the animal deal between Jacob and signed by Jacob and Laban, the animal deal, the animal deal that he made with their father, and how he says, and he says, but your father changed my wages 10 times. It's interesting when he talks about that deal you know, he just read about, he said, um, if he said thus, you know, remember he said, if he said thus, like the animals are going to turn out this way, then they'd all turn out that way. If he said thus, that if the animals turn out this way, they're yours, then all the animals turn out that way. It's interesting that he said that if he said thus. If he said thus. Now the question is, who set the original terms for the animal deal between Jacob and Laban? Jacob did, didn't he? He did. In the previous chapter, in chapter 30, Genesis 30, verse 31, he said, what shall I give thee? This was Laban speaking. What shall I give thee? And then it says, and Jacob said, you know, you won't give me anything. And he went through the details of the deal. See, Jacob said, Jacob set the terms of the animal deal that he had with Laban. So if that's true, then why in verse 8, when he's talking about Laban, he said, if he said thus, it's all this, if he said thus, it was because Laban stepped in. He changed the deal. He changed the deal. He set new terms. And this is what Jacob meant when he says in verse 7, your father's deceived me and changed 
My wage is 10 times. He changed the deal. Okay. Now, when Jacob said in verse 9, God had taken away the cattle of your father and given them to me, Laban might have said, that's not fair. That's my cattle. It's not fair to take my cattle away and give it to Jacob. But you see, he doesn't have the right view. And when we give to the Lord's work, we think, well, we're giving what we have to God. And the greatest time of giving in the history of the world was when King Solomon was king, and all the people gave all this for the building of the temple, magnificent temple, amassed the greatest amount of gold that's ever been amassed before. And King Solomon put it right when he said to Israel about this giving for God's house. And he said in 1 Chronicles 29.14, 1 Chronicles 29.14, Solomon says, who am I? Who am I? And what is my people that we should be able to offer so willingly after this sort? And he's praying to God. For all things come of thee, and of thine own have thy given thee. Have we given thee? See, Solomon was saying, who are we to give to God? God owns everything. All things are made by God, so all we've done is just taken what's God's and given it to God. That's silly. That's silly, you know? Sort of like a little child. Like Kaylee would come to this Clint and say, Dad, can I have some money? <laughs> and so Clint would give him some money, and then she goes off and buys him a gift. He says, look, you know, what's Clint's money? That's the way it is with us. It's the way it is with us. It was Clint's money bought the gift. It's God's, and we go give it to God. But you know what? Clint would be happy to see what Kaylee decided to go and buy him. And God's happy when we give to, when we just sees what we decide to give him, even though it's his anyways. Now, Jacob goes on to explain to his wives how God took away their father's cattle and gave it to him, see? So he sits his wives down out there in the field, and he starts to tell them what he saw in this dream. He says, you know, in verse 10, it came to pass at the time when the cattle conceived, I lifted up mine eyes and saw in a dream. Behold, the rams which leaped upon the cattle were ring-straked, speckled, and gristled. So Jacob is really telling his wives, he said, um, you know all that uh, rod stuff, you know, with the you know, carving and holding and all those maneuvers? That was actually pretty foolish, <laughs> what I was saying to him, you know, because actually the cattle had already conceived before they got to the watering troughs where I did all my maneuvers. And I saw that in the dream. Okay? So in verse 11, look at verse 11. What does Jacob say that he did with his eyes? What does it say? It's really a simple question. What does Jacob say he did with his eyes in verse 11? Yeah, that's it. He lifted up my eyes. He says, I lifted up my eyes. That's a very important statement. It's a very important statement when, when Jacob says, I lifted up my eyes, because that's an issue for Jacob. It's an issue. And we need to see what's really happening here. How many times do we read about this sort of like looking, lifting up the eyes or seeing? How many times? First in verse 10, where he says, I lift up my eyes, right? Then in verse 10, he says, and saw, too. Then in verse, 13, verse 10, he says, and behold, three. And then in verse, in verse 12, God says to him, lift up now thine eyes, four. And, and, and then in verse 12 again, and see, five. See, there's an emphasis here. It's like five times. Why is all this emphasis on lifting the eyes, on seeing and beholding? Because it shows us that Jacob was, it was hard for Jacob to lift up his eyes and see this. Thank you. 
another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org, or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. You're invited to join the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California, for the second annual Taste of Creation Benefit Dinner and Silent Auction. It's Saturday, June 4th at 6.30 p.m., This benefit dinner is in support of the Life and Light Foundation Ministries of the Creation and Earth History Museum, Israel Restoration Ministries, and the Friendship with God Radio Ministry. Come experience a fantastic food-themed night at the Creation Museum, and we'll have great guest speakers with Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor and Dan Sered, director of Israel's Jews for Jesus. We'll have an amazing night of auction items, so if you would like to attend, or if you're a local business or person that would like to donate and sponsor with a product or service in support of the Creation Museum auction on Saturday, June 4th at 6.30 p.m., then call us with your support or to reserve a seat. 619-599-1104. 619-599-1104. Or creationsd.org. creationsd.org.